defenses. Initiate bank protocol. What is good, homies? We are back with another episode of Bird Protocol today here on Family Day. That's right, you're getting a record and release on the same day. I'm here, uh, I'm your host, Palm Reader, uh, with my uh, co-host, Otis. Otis, how are you doing? Doing okay. I've been uh, steadily traveling through the nine realms uh, as Kratos and uh, smashing all kinds of monsters, uh, big and small. So yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. Um, I've been uh, steadily traveling through Hogwarts and uh, and and uh, smashing all types of monsters and uh, and evil uh, wizards and uh, the like. Uh, so we've both been uh, uh, putting some time in, in single player games, which is a weird thing because I don't usually put that much time into uh, at least this much time into single player games. But guess what? Mm-hmm. I still like Hogwarts Legacy uh, and uh, and I definitely want to give um, God of War a try eventually. Oh, yeah. But but today we're talking about something that's a little bit um, mm, uh, there's definitely smashing. Um, uh, definitely some bones breaking. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a mud fight, uh, Mm -hmm. in a prison yard. I like Um, a nice mud fight. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, there's some, uh, gangsters in, uh, very nice suits. Um, yeah. There's a girl who, who, uh, hammers people to death. That's, (laughs) yeah. And and her brother, I guess, who baseballs people to death. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Japanese people love baseball, so you know, of course, why would they not uh, use that as you know a uh, a weapon of death? And uh, oh boy, boy, yeah. oh boy! You know, last week we didn't have much plot to really uh, divulge into, but this week we get a Scorsese amount of convoluted plot. Yeah. Um. If you didn't catch last week's episode, we did an episode on Gareth Evans' The Raid, also known as The Raid Redemption in the United States. Uh, and uh, and this week, we, we, we're we following it up with the sequel, uh, The Raid 2, um, also known as The Raid Retaliation. Uh, it is the, the uh, well, let's just say it takes everything that happens in The Raid and just like pumps it full of steroids. Um, yeah. This is no longer a film that takes place in one location. It is a film that takes place across prison yards, noodle shops, streets, uh, the inside of a car, parking yep. garages, nightclubs, mm-hmm. uh, kitchens and wine cellars, hallways, uh, restaurants. I mean, this, 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 in this film, uh, uh, you know, Gareth Evans took, uh, the characters and the action and the kind of bombasticness of the first one and just turned everything up. Uh, it is a yeah. it is a martial arts crime action uh, uh, like masterwork. It once it starts going, it doesn't end. Like this this film, like pacing wise, action set piece wise, characters keep being introduced. It just it keeps building and building and building until the very end, uh, yeah. uh, and and it just doesn't slow down. 
<laughs> yeah, um, this is a uh, one of the weird action movies. It has a long runtime. It's two and a half hours, which is kind of you know not not the norm for most action movies. You know, action movies tend to be you know around a nice ninety, you know maybe a hundred minutes, hour and a half, hour forty five. This one is kind of an epic action movie. Do we want to say it? Can we say that? Like, yeah, I mean, it's almost it is, an epic. It's, 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 so it's like if you take the raid and then you look at this, like, kind of like the Godfather or Godfather 2 or one of those crime movies yeah. that has a lot. It's like, it's like that, except there's not really a lot of drama. It's just action. <laughs> I would say yeah, epic well, is the word. There drama. is drama. There is drama. There is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of good talking scenes with a lot of pretty good dialogue that, you know, help establishes characters. Um, that's and the some thing. Family this one, drama. This, some family drama, yeah. too. You're right. You're right. Yes. Yeah. You get the Yakuza sort of family drama stuff. And, you, you know, this movie kind of touches, you know, on stuff like, you know, that you'd see in like Infernal Affairs, which you would probably know better as the American version, The Departed. Uh, you know, where there's kind of like a back and forth. You don't really know who's who, who's that's a the real, fucking yeah, turncoat. That's, that's a really, really good uh, comparison, The Departed. It's like yeah. The Departed with like a shitload of people getting beaten up by martial artists. Yeah, if you gave The Departed like an extreme amount of like GHB, that this is the, <laughs> that's this movie. Yeah, yeah it's... Uh, so so much like the previous film, uh, it is uh, uh, written, directed by Gareth Evans. Um, it was uh, 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 it's made in uh, Indonesia. It was released in 2014. Um, it made a lot of money. Um, it was uh, a 4.5 million dollar budget um, with the box office of uh, 6.77 million overseas and then 1.43 million tickets in Indonesia. I don't know how much a ticket in Indonesia makes, but I assume they probably did pretty well. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm assuming I that assume. I would assume and much like uh, the first film, this film became a uh, kind of cult uh, um, not, you know, I don't want to say it's cult, but it's, it, it, it kind of spread through the internet and spread through, yeah. you know, like people built on the, the, the buzz and the kind of, uh, favor that the first film got this one. Um, not only does it like just blow the roof off of the first one in, as far as mm -hmm. action and some of the camera work, that's absolutely nuts. Um, oh, yeah. but, but then also just the sheer size of the story, the number of characters, the number of like, it spans the whole city. It's no longer just about, uh, crime and criminals. It's about undercover police work. It's about family drama. It's about all these different things. Mm -hmm. Um, and it spread very much the same way through the internet, through word of mouth. And, um, yeah. it's a banger. Like I, I can't, oh, yeah. this movie goes, I get the first one is like, was like, wow, this one's like, wow. You know, like some of yeah. the stuff in this, in this movie, just, it, it like gets the blood pumping. Like just like the last mm -hmm. one, you're just like, 
what? What is happening? The first one's so great because it's such a limited thing, like which we talked about so much last week. It's that it's very limited in plot. You know, it has some, you know, he has your unique characters that create some conflict, but it's more or less just focused on the fighting in small sort of contained areas. This one, yeah, like we said, all over the place, which is, it's funny because The Raid 2 was actually written before the first one. The Raid 2, like, Gareth Evans wrote this movie first, but then, you know, in trying to get money for it, they're like, yeah, we can't do that. This is fucking impossible. There's way too much crazy shit to do. So then, you know, he kind of abandoned that project and then made The Raid the first one, the Raid Redemption. And then after that, you know, obviously people were like, we want another Raid. And so that gave him an opportunity to go back to this old, crazy, you know, sort of big script that he had. He just rewrote some of the characters, some of the plot points to make it fit as a sequel to the Raid 2. And then, you know, obviously after the Raid, no one's going to question your ability to do sick action sequences. So they just threw... I don't know how much, like, what's the budget of this? So um, four and a half 4. million, million dollars. Yeah. And I, I'm assuming that's US. Like, yes, that's yes. pretty fucking sick. Like, if, yeah. again, um, gonna, gonna make note of this like we did last week. In Indonesia, you could probably get away with a lot of shit. Um, you know, a lot of safety protocols were probably bypassed. But then again, the whole cast, a lot of them, stuntmen, so they they know what they're doing, but I was watching the behind the scenes shit. And I was like, during the car scene, and it's like, yeah, no, if this was in America, you'd this would be triple the budget just because of restraints, limitations, you know, safety protocols. Um, so you know, they definitely save some money that way. And uh, but yeah, no, it's just it's just crazy. Like we well, said, and also, it amps also, up everything. Yeah, and also the stunt work by a lot of the characters mm-hmm. are done by the characters. You know, oh, yeah. that's another thing, too, is that, like, um, most of the fight scenes and stuff, these people were, the choreography was done by the characters themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, uh, but still, $4.5 million in Indonesia, like, to, I'm pretty sure that that's, like, a decent chunk of change to make this movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, um, and just to add to your comment about this being, and we had said this in the last episode, this was a um, a script that he wrote for a film called uh, Baron Dahl, uh, which which he had made as this kind of uh, story about a young guy who goes to prison. He befriends the son of a mob boss, comes out, joins him as an enforcer, and then has to survive a gang war. Um, and so this was like the prison crime family crime action, like I don't know what you could overarching like big crime story about yeah. about these gangs and family and all this stuff that he had written and a large portion of the first one was set in the prison um mm-hmm. which as you said he retrofitted he reworked the, the the script for the sequel to the raid um and uh and then he was able to do what he or to uh realize a lot of the the story uh that he had previously written and and um in indonesian it is actually called uh the raid to berendal uh so you know um uh, uh it's uh, uh he even just brought the name of the original script <laughs> into the raid yeah. and just added some of his characters into it uh you see a lot of uh returning characters uh obviously rama who also goes by yuda 
in this film uh, mm-hmm. is uh, is played by Iko Uwais. Um, we also see Yayan Ruhian, uh, who had played Mad Dog in the first film, come back and play Prakoso. Uh, he's a yeah, he just plays a whole other freak now. Yeah, <laughs> he just plays another small, insane man that just does absolute murder mode. Uh, so shout out that guy. Like that's I, I guess uh, him and Gareth Evans are incredibly t- close. And I read that Gareth Evans, like if he ever makes a martial art film, like that guy is guaranteed to be in it. Like so, you know. Oh yeah. He even said, though he said oh, in oh sorry, he said in uh, in that the that he would never make a martial arts film without him being involved because yeah. they had such a close relationship and and a lot of this pink caxalat. Um, uh, uh, knowledge came from him and from uh, Eco, and so mm-hmm. they were very, very connected. Uh, yes, and he wanted so, him to be in there. He wouldn't make one without him. Yeah, so that's why you know he wrote a whole new character, even though he dies in the first raid. You know, Mad Dog's dead, and then you know, so it took me a while when I was watching this. I was like, why does this guy look familiar? And I was like, oh, it's just uh, it's Mad Dog, but he's homeless now, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, he just plays another sort of unhinged character. Um, well, he's definitely unhinged, but he his story is also a little bit different. Um, in this, he plays an undercover. I don't know if he's undercover. He's maybe he's like an assassin making money for his family, but his wife just treats him terribly. Um, mm-hmm. so it's a little bit more empathetic of a character in this film, but he is definitely off the rails insofar as ass whooping. Oh yeah. Yeah, like there's the when you first are introduced to him, he just pulls out like a machete and just goes crazy in an alleyway. It's pretty wild. And like they just kind of show him and you don't really know who he's kind of working for, uh, and which is with the same with a lot of characters in this movie. You know, anybody could be a turncoat. You don't know who. And, you know, there's lots, there's plenty of reveals. Like, this movie has more twists in it than an M. Night Shyamalan movie, probably. Who knows? Uh, yeah, it, people, everybody's in a weird gray area. You're like, is could this guy be good? Is this guy bad? What's, what's going to happen? And the only person in this movie that you can really put your trust into is Rama, because... Even at some point, you're like, because the movie itself is even about dirty cops. Or you're like, are the people he's even working for, are they even clean? Like, there's just so many questions in the air that you're just like, okay, let's strap in and let's see where this wild ride takes us. And boy, does it take you to a lot of places. Yeah, it definitely, I like that that kind of uh, comparison to The Departed because it is, yeah. there is a very, very strong undercurrent of like, you know, you have the undercover cops, you have the, the, the turncoats, you have, you don't know who's working for who for a little while. There's a lot of backdoor dealings that are, are being made. Um, I'll just go through some of the, uh, um, main characters. Um, mm-hmm. Iko Uwais plays, uh, Rama, also known as Yuda. Uh, we have, uh, Arafin Putra as Uko, uh, the son of, um, uh, he is, he's not, he's a pretty, pretty petulant, uh, uh, kind of whiny, um, self-righteous, vicious mobster who is the son and, uh, heir to his father, uh, Bangun's, um, uh, uh, entire criminal, 
uh, Empire. He controls yeah. half of Jakarta's underworld. Uh, and uh, he's played by uh, Tio Pakusawadewu. Uh, sorry if I screwed uh, that up. Yeah. Uh, Tio Pakusadewu. That's what it is. Um, okay. We also have Oka Antara as Ika, uh, Bangun's consigliere. Um, uh, there's Alex Abad as Beho. Uh, he's a self-made Jakartan crime boss who considers himself very ambitious, has big plans, plans that may go put him against um, Bangun and, uh, and also Mr. Goto. Uh, Hideki Goto, played by Kenshi Endo. Um, who is the head of the uh, Yakuza family that's uh, the Goto family that uh, owns the other half of Jakarta's underworld. Yeah. Um, so we're dealing with like Indonesian crime families as well as the Yakuza. So you do get a bit of the Japanese Yakuza movie vibe in this because uh, they're dealing directly with the Yakuza. So it kind of goes back and forth. Uh, which is, you know, if you've seen any Yakuza movies pr- previously, this very much fits within the sort of same realm of like, you know, family drama, you know, backdoor dealings and, you know, uh, undercutting, you know, turning on people sort of stuff. It's yeah. Like like we said, we're, I think we're going to keep going back to that. This is just kind of like an action packed departed almost, you know, yeah. internal affairs. But, uh, you know, I didn't th- really think of that uh, comparison until I said it uh, just recording uh so now i'm i've blown my own mind with that one yeah it's a good one um we also have a a slew of different uh assassins uh, as i previously said yayan rian as Prokoso. um there's also uh sesep arif rahman who plays the assassin um he is the new big bad he's the mad dog he's beho's top enforcer who uses uh two uh, weapons known as the karambit. Uh, they're kind of curved okay. knives that he uses like claws or not claws. He, he kind of holds them in his hand and then, but they slice like claws. Um, they're curved yeah, and serrated on the outside. So he can like tear flesh. It, it's, it, it's pretty yeah. intense. It's like a meat hook, but like more like a knife. If you, if you like fashion a meat hook into a knife, this, that's more or less what I get. It's a, uh, mm. While it is small and perhaps maybe the smallest weapon used in this movie, it is, I think, the uh, most violent. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think so. And yeah, yeah, once we get to the conclusion or the end of the movies, uh, you sort of see because there's so many different weapons used in this movie. Like there's shit that you wouldn't even think that could be used as a weapon, used as a weapon. You're like, God damn it. But then, yeah, that curved knife, like, ugh. Yeah, the last, the kitchen. The kitchen fight is like wild. Like, yeah, I, I, I couldn't even. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay, we mm-hmm. also have a very try Ulysman. Ulysman. I, I can't pronounce that. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, he's baseball Batman, Alicia's brother, and one of Bejo's top three hitmen. Also, we have Julia Estelle as Alicia, a.k.a. Hammer Girl, a merciless yeah. assassin who uses claw hammers as her signature weapon. She's deaf, missing an eye, wears sunglasses all the time, um, but is uh, just like a freight train of pain. Um, yeah. I found her to be a lot more brutal than baseball Batman. I mean, yeah, he's like swinging a bat around and hitting people with a bat, but she's using these back end of hammers as like yeah. Wolverine, as like, or like claws 
Like she's like sticking them into people and like pulling. Tra- it's it's wild, guys. Yeah, like there's like scenes like in that uh in the train scene, like she like stabs a dude in like the throat and like pulls his throat out, and it's fucked. And it's kind of hard <laughs> to watch, honestly. Yeah. The amount of like, and that's the thing I noticed during those scenes specifically, since like people are like with the hammer when she like slap like stabs somebody in and then rips out one of the beautiful things that the camera work does is it like follows the blood and flesh so like if she like stabbed you in the arm then pulls it out the camera moves with where the blood splatters to and like it just it really adds something where you're like fuck she just ripped a chunk of that dude's arm off fuck me ah well and also it's something that he did in the first film where he would like if you have someone getting stabbed by somebody the camera kind of like comes close and then follows the movement so she like stabs a dude in the arm and it like kind of closes in on the hammer and then when she pulls it Mm -hmm. down it follows and i'm like this is this is wild like this is wild um so if you can't tell as you know the first one was violent this one just like everything else the violence gets taken up a notch Mm -hmm. um there's dudes getting like shot at point blank range with shotguns and stuff like that like it's uh it's quite the uh, quite the 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 violent film. So if you're not a fan of violent films, uh, but you are a fan of martial arts films, this I'm, the martial arts are amazing. But this is very very violent, like very oh, much. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there were parts that had to be cut out of certain releases in certain countries uh, because of how violent they were. Um, not oh, a yeah. lot, but there were. Uh, uh, Evans did say there were small sections of certain fights that had to be removed. Uh, because they were just too much for some um, audiences and for Mm -hmm. some countries. Um, So let's try to, well, first and foremost, you know, rewatching it. How did you feel? Oh, loved it. Loved it. Uh, I, I own this one. I own this movie. I think I may have seen no, I feel like I saw the first raid first, but either way, it's been a while. It's been a minute since I've seen this one. And, you know, a lot of the fight sequences, once they happened, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Like the whole, the his first fight in prison when he's in the washroom and the toilet, that's mm-hmm. pretty sick. You know, obviously, I remember the the prison yard fight. The uh, the train sequence, the the co- the whole car chase part, which yeah. is that camera work in the car chase is incredible. The car, well, the camera moving from car to car as they're fighting, like as oh, yeah. they're driving, the camera is mm-hmm. moving. And I saw a thing a behind the scenes. Oh thing yeah, about how I they did it. it yeah, where where I, it's yeah. like a guy on a bike, and the camera they hand the camera to the guy on the bike, and then then the guy on the bike drives to the next car and hands it to a guy who's in the in the car but he's being cgi'd out and then well no there's a guy hiding in the car which you can actually see it in the scene he's hiding in the car as the passenger seat it's a fake passenger seat so the camera goes through the window and you can see it quickly where the passenger seat kind of leans back for a second that's actually a human dressed up as a passenger seat nice like those youtube videos of the guys who pull up to the uh 
um like mcdonald's drive-thrus as any yeah. they're under like the passenger seat suit and everybody starts yeah, screaming yeah. they they weaponized yeah. that <laughs> yeah they did that and then so he as a passenger seat like turns and then he crawls to the back of the car and then passes it at the back window where there's actually a dude laying down on like a part attached to the car who then takes that and oh dude yeah the camera work is absolutely nuts the car fighting part is nuts um and also though like just in general i remembered most of these these fight scenes too Mm -hmm. but going back and watching them like that prison yard fight is insane um that especially leading up to it that slow-mo shot where the rain is falling and they're walking and the dude has the 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 um like handmade knife or or shiv shiv or whatever that is and he's like walking and it's slow-mo and the rain's falling and and uh and rama's undoing the slowly undoing the broom stick Mm -hmm. to get ready to fight um yeah also in that scene he kicks a guy who's falling and then the guy's head goes into a concrete corner of a concrete slab (laughs) and i was just like holy lord (laughs) And then there's like parts in that mud fight where like you can see dudes legitimately struggling to even stand up just because it's so slippery. Like that's that was one of the parts where there's like a where he's running where he's trying to get to uh uh Uko or Uso, whatever that guy's name is. Uko. Uh before Uko before one of the other like criminals can kill him, you see uh rama like struggling to stand up and struggling to fight people like he's sliding he's slipping there's dudes like that seems like that that scene would have been an absolute nightmare to film like just dudes would have been like getting stuck in mud you know people probably like twisting their knees and shit because they're stuck in like yeah uh, I yeah that scene and just the amount of violence that happens it's insane dude. yeah from it's there crazy. from there on it pretty much doesn't slow down like you have that and then you have them going to meet uh to meet Bangun and the whole strip search scene and then he gets his apartment and then pretty much from there on it's like he's an enforcer and mm-hmm. violence abound and you learn about all the stuff that's happening and yeah. it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier until the um the finale the the final kind of three situations four situations you have well i don't want to spoil it but you have uh, the death of a major character followed by the car scene uh followed by the um the the reveal re- the, reveal, the, twist. the twist the restaurant situation and then the final uh, Rama working his way up to uh, the the Uko and and the uh, other Reza and um, and um, what was his Beho 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 yes Bejo? and uh, and and then and that whole kind of actually I would say it even starts before then the when everybody starts getting attacked like you have. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Procoso gets attacked and then there's a little bit of drama in between there and then you have everybody else like uh Rama getting attacked um you know you have all that stuff happening uh mm-hmm. at the same time um uh Hammer Girl and Baseball Bat guy uh trying to kill the uh Japanese um 
Yakuza uh, members and and uh, and um, Rama being attacked in the noodle shop and in a taxi and you know and then all of that leads up like the last hour is just like time to time to go like one thing after another after another it's like all out madness leading up that and then there's the kitchen then he then Rama fights baseball bat girl and or baseball baseball bat guy and hammer girl at the same time and then yeah, he has to fight wild. the assassin in the kitchen in a in a like what is it 10 minutes 15 minutes like it's long and it's a long ass fight yeah and they're cutting each other like throwing oh. each other through glass walls and it's oh. nuts um yeah so yeah. this this once the gas pedal gets gets pushed the car it just get, it, keep, keeps getting faster yeah. and faster this um, is this movie is truly the epitome of all gas no brakes like there is there's not even a brake pedal in this vehicle okay it is literally just a gas pedal that's all it yeah. is you might sometimes it lets up on the gas but never doesn't even think about hitting the brake ever <laughs> yeah. it doesn't so, yeah cuz let's if we go back to the beginning the very beginning of this movie this movie starts like hours after the first movie like Rama's still fucked up from you know, just beating an entire apartment's ass of criminals. Yeah. He, oh, so yeah. he's, he's now, so I guess to go into the plot, you know, he goes, he's taken by like this special, very small team of like a, two, three dudes. And they're like, Hey, like we need you to go undercover. They immediately kill off the one, uh, uh, dirty dude from the raid, the, uh, uh, what was he? Was he like chief or uh, forget Lieutenant, Lieutenant. Wayhu? Lieutenant Wayhu. Yeah. So right off the bat, they come in and they just off Lieutenant Wayhu because they're like he's dirty. So this is what we're going to do. You're going to go undercover and take out all the dirty cops. But in order to do that, you need to become best buds with this fucking mob boss's son, which then immediately throws him into prison. Well, so and- so so. You're missing something that's very important. This, the yeah. film, the film yeah. starts oh, yeah. mm-hmm. with, uh, with uh, Beho uh, executing um, Rama's brother Andy. Andy, yeah. Um, and this immediately after the raid, yeah. like this, the start. This starts immediately after, or within a few hours after, yeah. Andy is taken, brought out into the middle of nowhere. Much like in in Goodfellas, um, yeah, that was my, as soon as I saw it, so it's like this has got to be a Goodfellas reference. Like and 100%. yeah, and he, and Beho tells him, you know, what you think you could do, whatever you want. Like, there's a system here. Your boss, he knew the system, which is why he was allowed to continue to operate. You took him out, which is costing us money. Uh, and then they just blast him in the face, and then the title page comes up: the raid to in his, uh, uh, I guess, spray. Um, and uh, honestly one of the best cuts to a title because okay so andy's on his knees and fucking what's his name uh beho puts a shotgun directly to his head and blasts and you see like half a second of it like you see the force like blow his head like out of frame and then it cuts to the raid too dude such a good, such a good title sequence. Yeah, excellent. Minimal, uh, but like so good. Yes, and then we have Rama bringing his injured squad mates and uh, and the corrupt superior. 
to uh, Lieutenant Bunwar, uh, or Bunawar, and Bunawar shoots uh, Weyu um, under the pretense of keeping Rama safe, exp- and uh, and uh, from from other crooked cops, uh, and uh, and the police chief Reza's crooked dealings, um, and uh, so he wants Rama to help him since nobody knows if he survived the situation in the, in the hotel or in the, not the hotel, the apartment. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and because he has this unique opportunity being a rookie, this is much again, like the departed. He says, you know, nobody will know. Um, and you're going to have to get yourself in, in jail to get close to Uko, the son of, uh, Bangun. And, uh, and then, and then from there on, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll work your way in. Um, and he tells, uh, uh, Rama, that to get into jail, he's going to have to beat the son of uh, of a is it a politician? Um, uh, yeah, it's or, the son or... of the politician who put Uko in jail. So, so that's what they have to do is they have to create a common enemy so that you know Uko has Uko and um, uh, but fuck, uh, Rama have a reason to come together. So you never actually see Rama beat the shit out of this uh, innocent man. Um, they no. do later say that uh, he wheelchaired him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever um, that means. Yeah. And <laughs> Use then, your imagination on this and one. Then, uh, and then so he obviously, uh, Rama does this. He He gets sent to jail. He is attacked in jail being a new prisoner. Um, mm-hmm. by a mob of people in the bathroom. He manages to lay the hurt on quite a few of them, but there's like 50 yeah. of them. And they just overpower yeah. him and they give Which, him a beating. I think that that since that is the first fight scene in the movie, I think it was it was specifically to be a reference to to sort of this uh, close quarter combat from the first movie is he's literally in a washroom stall. That's where the fight takes place. It takes place in like a, you know how small a fucking washroom stall is. They're not big. Now imagine a prison stall. (laughs) Yeah. Now imagine a prison stall. Everything is made out of Indonesian prison. Yeah, so you're in like a concrete cell, more or less, and the door gets beat down, and he just smarts. Like, dude, the first dude that he just launches, like, over his head, and you just see the dude's head just smash into the toilet. Oh, my God, man. And that's, like, the first thing that happens is you just see a dude's face just get obliterated by a fucking toilet. And then, yeah, he takes out, like, at least 10 of these dudes, but there's, like, 20 of them, and eventually they just pummel start pummeling on him but uh you know i think uh i think rama did pretty well for yeah, you know what did odd yeah there <laughs> um and so because this attack was obviously done by uko's people because uko runs the that wing of the prison um he uh he he comes over and speaks to rama who now goes by yuda uh, uh at the table uh, in the cafeteria and he says you know you, you 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 should come roll with me because you know like i run this wing and you handled yourself really well and you're going to need to pick a side you can't be by yourself in prison um you know yuda who we'll just call him yuda now going forward or rama yeah. whatever uh he 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 says no i'm i'm fine thanks whatever um and uh and then you are shown 
that uh, uh, or told that uh, when, well, even though Rama was originally set told to only be in prison for a few months, the politician has pulled some sp- strings and he's mm-hmm. meant to be there for three years. Um, uh, but he's still to con- continue doing what he's doing, trying to get close to him, uh, to, to Uko. And, uh, and during a rainy day out in the courtyard where everything is covered in mud, Rama successfully gains his trust by saving his life uh, during this riot that uh, breaks out, which uh, I guess was intended to cover his assassination. Uh, I believe the assassin was actually one of um, uh, Uko's men who mm-hmm. who was either paid off or yeah. or whatever who's attempting to uh kill him but uh, mm-hmm. uh Rama helps um you know they have this huge mud fight it's raining uh as we said slipping sliding he this fight is incredibly violent like i said he kicks a guy oh, who's man. he like flips a guy and then kicks him into a concrete corner corner of like a concrete block he like grabs yeah. a guy's arm and breaks it and then grabs his other arm and breaks it like this is like brawl like like prison yeah. brawl people fighting Dude. for their lives here in the mud it's, it's gnarly and like this prison is just absolute like there's no rules because even before this fight like dudes just have knives security guards don't seem to really give a shit if you want to murder a dude so go ahead um, so Uko has a knife, Rama has a broomstick, and I love the uh the staging of this scene because like so their courtyard, their uh yard, prison yard, whatever you want to call it, is just a, like a square or a diamond, whatever. And along the edges, they're all covered, you know, they're almost like they're in a uh, uh baseball dugout sort of thing. Mm, Maybe it is yeah. a baseball field just covered in mud. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know, but they're in like this dugout area nobody's in the mud but it slowly sets up that like something's going on and you know rama he's he picks up on it he realizes what's about to go down and then you know that's the thing is that that's another cool part about the fight too is that it starts and it stays in the dugout like he's smashing people against like the benches he's you know throwing people into like posts and stuff but then there's like a big part where somebody kicks or throws uh, Rama out into the mud and then that's when they're like okay turn it up and then it just becomes full on prison riot yeah which and is the like, guards join in and people are just like beating people and someone smashes someone's head with a rock like it's like it, yeah it goes it's, nuts it's, it also has the most I think disturbing piece of violence in it I don't know why but this stood out to me um more than anything so like rama gets stabbed at some point he's stabbed in the shoulder by like some dude but then he takes that knife out and turns around stabs a dude in the calf but then pulls down and just tears the dude's leg which honestly disturbed me so much like i don't know why but just like i'm okay if you just want to stab a dude 47 times go ahead like prison style but stabbing somebody and like pulling down I'm not a fan of seeing people get like gutted like that. I don't like that, but it is. And then just thinking of like the, you know, even if you did get slightly stabbed in this fight, you, that shit's probably infected as fuck, dude. Cause you got your, you've got so much mud in that. And like, 
it's crazy because it goes from like prisoners versus prisoners for at one point the security comes in and then there's prisoners teaming up to fight the security people are trying to get just leave and like climb the fences they're getting picked off by snipers dude yeah, there's it's just wild. violence in every inch of the frame it's, it's like hype, it's like power violence it's <laughs> it's yeah, like if you took like a weekend nacho song and was like oh what's the visual counterpart to this song it's this it's this scene like this is the perhaps one of the most violent fight scenes ever and, and oh probably boy. one of the greatest fight scenes of all time like in in terms of in terms of brawls i think this this one might take it of like yeah in terms of fights that take 20 or more people yeah this one might be it but holy shit dude like we could honestly probably do like a whole episode just on this, <laughs> just scene. on that scene. And I love like, the fact, insane, I love the fact that they do this slow motion, like build up towards it. Like, yeah. I really think that it works so well because you have the kind of tension rising as they're walking and it's like slow-mo and you see Rama slowly turning, like it's close up of him slowly turning the thing. And then when the violence starts, like when the guy gets a couple feet away and he goes yeah and he runs forward and then rama pops up and starts smacking them with the and people and then all of a sudden uko's up too and they're all fighting and then it just explodes it's like a explosion and it just keeps going and keeps building until literally they are they have to be knocked out for it to end like the guards come in and just knock everybody out because that's how, how they're gonna end it yeah. um and from there uh, you know, we kind of jump forward two years later. Rama is released from prison. Uko picks him up to take him to meet his father. Um, and his father hires Rama out of gratitude for what he's done for his son. He does make him strip naked. And uh, and um, just before he gets in the car, Rama smartly removes the, uh, um, wire. the wire that's in his clothing and tosses it to the ground. And uh, they go together and... Uh, and um, uh, uh, Bangoon uh, thanks him for all he's done, gives him a job, gives him a place to live, and boom, Rama is in the family. Yeah. Um, uh, after doing some work, uh, which is a, uh, a quite an exciting scene in which they need to go retrieve um, uh, money from, uh, I believe it's like a pornography ring or something. Um, they need to re retrieve some money from the guys in the ring. Turns into another fight, of course. Uh, this is centered around a big table, and the leader of the ring does some hopping through windows. And uh, ultimately, it's to showcase that Rama does a good job. Uh, he beats the guy up, and they bring him in. Yep. His, uh, his uh, uh, Uko's father appreciates the hard work, and uh, and they say, you know, looks seems like he was built for this. Um, yeah. And uh, and so Uko goes with Rama and talks to him later after all of this that he's frustrated with his limited role in his father's organization, and he believes that he deserves to be involved in his father's bigger operations. This scene also happens in a karaoke bar where there are two obviously hired escorts that are with them. Um, you see how much of a kind of uh, tortured, vindictive, freakish man Uko is because. He yeah. uh, uh, tries to stick the microphone somewhere where I, d I don't really think it would be fun to. Um, no, no. Uh, and uh, and he uh, verbally assaults the these women. Uh, Rama, uh, he convinces him to let them leave. 
And this is when uh, Uko explains what's making him mad. During this time, this is very important. Rama also uses the opportunity where Uko takes a phone call to secretly plant a bug in uh, in Uko's wallet. Um, here we see Uko meeting with Beho, uh, who um, shares rumors of a plot to turn Reza, uh, the corrupt police chief, and others against his father. Uh, Beho allows Uko to kill the gang members responsible for the prison riot, uh, and they hatch a plan to start a gang war between Bangun and Goto, or Goto, the Yakuza boss, so Uko can prove, prove his worth to his father, and Beho can take Goto's territory. Um, yeah. uh, during this scene where he kills the people that were responsible for the riot, an important thing hap- happens. There is a, a tattoo on one of the uh, men he shoots that plays a very important role later. Uh, no, he slits their throats. Oh, yeah, he slits, sorry, slits their throats. Thro- slits their throats um Mm -hmm. but that that tattoo winds up being something important later um uko Mm -hmm. then sets prokoso bangun's most loyal hitman up to be killed by oh i was gonna say uh before we go but move on uh like beho this is where like in this like because i mentioned this last week of where the rape two almost has kind of like the villains are almost like anime characters in like a way like Beho, like he's got like glasses, gloves. He has like a weird limp, and he walks with a cane. And like all the the big villains in this movie, they all have like weird sort of like almost like comic book like quirks. Yeah, um, like Uko. Uko is like like a big baby freak. He's yeah. like a, he's like a short tempered, like self righteous weirdo. Beho's like this kind of like slimy semi-crippled evil scheming conniving guy um they're like characters from the yakuza games if you've played any of the yakuza's uh, there's one i think it's in yakuza 6 i forget what the character's name is but there's one character that as soon as i saw beho i was like oh shit you know maybe that's the dude that they kind of based the other character in yakuza off of because yeah, just like very stylish things, very stylish guys. But like, you know, they all have like these weird sort of quirks. And I like it's very like kind of like Tarantino esque the way he writes like big bad people. You know, they're all kind of they, they're quirky and weird. And uh, yeah, I, I like how they did it because, you know, everyone in like the first one in the vi- like the villains, like other than Mad Dog, no one really like stood out. But in this one, like everyone, all the villains are like very unique and like you understand it because like you go through a lot of them like this, this game, this movie as well has like a video game esque uh, sort of plot where like it gets progressively harder and difficult and like these villains are straight up bosses, like literally our yeah. bosses. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry to cut you off. No, no, that. no, that's okay. good. Um, so Uko sets up Prokoso, um, who's played by the actor who played mad dog. Mm-hmm. Um, he sets him up by uh, setting him on a hit against some Yakuza members. Um, so he's introduced in a fight scene where he goes absolutely dummy uh, yeah. and just beats up like, 12 dudes in a row um while holding a machete which he doesn't use he just like uses one arm and just like flips them and like snaps their legs and stuff um anyway so he he just throws a chair at a guy (laughs) yeah he's just going i love that um that was like 
kind of humorous part out of nowhere. It's like he has a machete and he could beat the piss out of him. And he just like decides to throw a chair. It doesn't even hit them, but it's yeah. just, I don't know. Yeah, he's yeah. he's going anyway. So Precoso, he he finishes his mission. Uh, he's paid, and he returns uh, to meet his wife at dinner. He meets his wife at dinner, and uh, and she is just like, "You are a freak. Uh, you can't see your child. Um, why would your Why would you want your child to be seen around you? Um, you know, like it's been however many thirteen years or fifteen years or whatever it's been like." We don't, you know, his, his, our, our, our child's friends come here. Like, do you really want them to see him with you? Like you aren't anywhere who, what, what you used to be pretty much. She just like, just verbally lashes him, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. uh, and then he's just like, okay, well, I got to leave. Cause I'm being, I'm being uh paged. And he goes to a, club uh, in which he meets Uko and Uko sets him up to be killed by uh, by the assassin uh, Beho's top enforcer but first he has to fight through the whole club of uh, seemingly endless waves of uh, henchmen and goons and yeah. um, and he he does he gets through it all the way uh, but he's been pretty bloodied pretty pretty hurt by it because it seems like it's just wave after wave like he jumps off of a off of a balcony at one point and lands on the ground. He's like throwing people over tables. He's getting stabbed. (laughs) It's like, he's he's just, it's a huge fight, but obviously there's more um, men coming obviously wave after wave. And he's unable to uh, keep up his, his strength. Maybe he's, maybe he's just uh, feeling terrible because of what his wife said to him. I don't know, but he just isn't able to fight them off completely. He, he does eventually win. And he escapes to the back, but that's where the assassin is waiting for him who cuts his throat. Um, yeah. And this is set up to create this false narrative of uh, he attacked the the Yakuza and then the Yakuza attacked him, um, but he was able to... And I don't know, maybe the people in the... Are the people who attack him in the bar Yakuza? Are they Uko's men? Are Beho's men? I, I, can't, I can't really tell. Um, but either, either way, either way, it's set up so that there's this conflict that, that Mm -hmm. Beho and Uko are trying to create this false conflict and that, that Procoso needed to die one, because it was his father's favorite and most trusted assassin. But the Mm -hmm. other thing is because, uh, he can't explain what happened. So he, they set him up to die. The assassin walks up to him while he's, uh, you know, bleeding and crawling out from behind the, uh, the 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 club and just yeah in an alleyway and he just splits his like cuts his neck um pretty sick thing it's a pretty cool shot because it's like overhead in the alley and there's like snow on the ground it's it's pretty it's a nice one I, i i like the stylized violence in it but also the club scene here's the thing is that i thought this film came out way like a, at least a year before John Wick, but they actually came out in the same year. But The Raid 2 did come out first, and I feel like this might have influenced like all of the following John Wick movies because like every <laughs> yeah, John Wick movie this. now needs to have a club scene where it's just John Wick murdering people in the club. And I feel like this movie did it first, and 
you know, and now John Wick's now even in the fourth movie, he's still going clubbing. Uh, maybe John Wick's just a huge rave fan. <laughs> John Wick's like an EDM head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, he just wants to like chill out and go to Ever After. That That's John Wick's motivation is he just wants to hang out with his dog and just wait until a sick festival comes up. But yeah, no, this, like, I have to say that I feel like the club scene, the club fight scenes, and especially the car scenes, very, very much influenced John Wick. And, oh, yeah. And has influenced a bunch of stuff afterwards, oh, too. Yeah. Like, for the, sure. These movies, as we said with the first one, have very kind of silently and not so silently influenced so much of the action genre after mm-hmm. the fact. Um, whether it's the camera, the, the cinematography and the camera use, like the choreography, um, the kind of stylized violence that's in it. But anyway, so after this, we we uh, see Uko, Bangun, uh, Ika, and uh, and some other folks talking about Prokoso's death. Um, Uko is trying to convince uh, his father that uh, that it was Goto's men, but uh, his father refuses to retaliate, and he says, "You know, you you're so full of of anger and so full of this, but like you don't get it. Like I'm doing yeah. this so that I can keep the peace because like we we have a good thing going on. We don't need to change mm-hmm. anything here. This just makes yeah. Uko even angrier. He yeah. uh, he he goes outside and he yells at uh, at Rama." who is there um, and uh, and he throws Rama against a wall and he's like, yeah, once you were done with you, you're going to be sent packing. Like my father doesn't actually care with you, care about you. He doesn't think you're good. He's just being a baby. He's just like yelling. He's like, yeah, as soon as, as soon as you've repaid your, we've, we've repaid our debt, you're going to be set free. You know, we don't care about you. We're going to cut you loose. And he's just being like an asshole. And he calls Bayo and says, yo, Gotta gotta kick it up a notch. So Bejo has his two hitmen, uh, the siblings, Hammer Girl and Baseball Man, uh, kill several of Goto's men. Um mm-hmm. uh when uh um uh and this is where things we're now near the end of like getting into the last part of the film where things kick it up a notch. Um baseball batman kills uh some some uh Yakuza members in a, I guess, factory area, uh, Which, by, you know, using at one point, he literally just, you know, tosses up and like T-balls a dude to death. Like he's standing across on the other side of the room and just, you know, has a baseball bat tossed in the air, hits it and just like uses that to knock a dude out before just going and smashing his head in with yeah. a bat. Well, then he does his, that's his, his anime character s thing is he's like here throw me the ball back and the guy throws the yeah. ball away and he's like you shouldn't have done that and just beats him to death with the bat yeah. i was like oh my god i um, also i hate that sound of because it's a metal baseball bat or whatever type of metal they make it out of i forget i don't know what baseball bats are made out of it's not wood though and just i uh i guess it's aluminum it's an aluminum baseball bat and just the sound of the, like the dong, dong, yeah dong. I hate that shit, dude. There's so many things in this movie that like they do it so well and it has a lot to do with like the sounds and the blood, but that one it's like I'm pretty sure a pretty wide shot and you just see him wailing on the dude's head, but it's the sound, just the doom. You're like, "Oh my god, that is the sound of a skull being crushed." And yeah. yeah. Oh, kudos um, kudos to whoever did the like the sound and like yeah. the foley sound on this uh movie because 
yeah, with just the amount of craziness that's going on in any given scene, it really does feel impactful. Because sometimes, like, if there's too much, like, you know, if you put too many, like, sounds, like, if you're punching somebody and you just constantly hear the, ooh, 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 like, you don't, you don't hear that so much. It's a lot of just real, like, it's real sounds. Like, it's just thuds. And it's, like, sounds you would actually hear if you're, like, watching, like, a UFC fight. And, like, yeah. usually it's the, 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 the not as loud, like big slaps actually don't hurt as much. It's like when you just hear the, I don't know if you can hear that, but that's yes. me just like hitting my own arm, but that shit hurts. Like that shit hurts. And they get that so perfectly. They yeah. get that sound and it makes the action sequences just the violence just takes it to another level. So. Um, and speaking of violence, this is where we also see hammer girl, Acosta a group of friendly Yakuza men in a subway and uh, beat or stab them all to death with her hammers. Yay. Harkens back to the first film. It's a very tight space. She's using a lot of the like bouncing people off of the poles and, you know, you know, flipping people around and doing all that stuff, but she's going hard. And uh, you know, there's a part where she just like uses the back ends, as I say, to kind of like, um, I don't know, Wolverine stab, but like I say Wolverine because Wolverines have those claws where they like dig in. Yeah. Uh, where she just does that a bunch of times to a bunch of dudes in their like chest and stuff and throw it, as you say. And um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty, pretty violent. Um, and then uh, we are, we see uh, uh, Bangun and Goto meeting to discuss the situation uh, where Uko lashes out. He gets angry because he, they're ne- neither of them are falling for it. Um, and uh, uh, because of that, Bangun says, you know what? What's wrong with you? He starts beating up his son. He's like, I'm gonna have to concede territory to them. I'm gonna have mm-hmm. to 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 make up for this. I know it was you who set it up. What are you doing? And his he's he's given her the giving him the works uh because he's like, why, why are you trying to make this happen? Why are you trying to force us to fight? Mm-hmm. We have a deal, we have a, a, a peace. Why are you doing this? You don't understand what all of this is for you. I'm creating this piece in this huge empire for you to inherit. And you are too impatient and too self-righteous and too, you know, crazed to see what he's doing. Um, and you're meaningless, meaninglessly disrupting this piece between these two organizations that they've had. They worked hard for, um, during this time, Rama is suddenly attacked by Reza's corrupt cops. Now, at the start of the fight, you don't realize that they're cops, but they mm-hmm. he, they attack him while he's entering a taxi. Um, one of the things that this film does really well is in the car crashes, when uh, a lot of films, when you see a car crash, you don't see like a body fly out. Yeah. Um, this film, there's like four or five instances where that happens. And yeah. I think that it's really good because it's like, oh yeah, right. like you're in a car accident you're not wearing a seatbelt you know like people are fighting in a car mm-hmm. and then you hit something someone's I mean, going to go through the window <laughs> someone's yeah. going to go flying even before the car starts moving one of the best just the best sequences in this entire movie is when Rama he goes over to the cab he gets into the back seat and you can see through the windows on the other side that there's like a mob of assassins They're just coming. running They're running just towards the car sprinting. Just sprinting, and then it cuts to like a like a front view of like the taxi driver, and then you just see like a fucking 
I don't, I don't know, like what some it's sort like of like a pipe or something, kendo stick or something, or a pipe or something just comes through the driver's side window and just smashes the taxi driver's face. I never face. understood. I was like, why are they attacking the taxi driver? Like, what did he do? He didn't do anything. You could have just gotten in front of the taxi and smashed the window. Yeah. Or like you could have like grabbed him and thrown him out. Like, yeah. why did you smash the window and like beat this guy? I didn't understand. But anyway, they attack. Yeah, him there's the- a lot of people that catch a lot of fans. Yeah, lots no of reason. lots <laughs> of collateral in this film. Um, and then so they they the, Rama is able to get uh, into the front seat and drive the car away from the group. Some people are stuck on. One guy is stuck hanging on the outside. Another guy's in the car fighting with him. He crashes it into a, a another car or a, a kind of concrete something, and the guy on the inside he goes flying out, and uh, and he's able to escape. They all attack him inside of a noodle restaurant where he's using tables and chairs uh, to to bounce people off of. Uh, he use also uses a. a, a, a flat top stove to burn uh, his attacker's face. Uh, And then afterwards he realizes, oh my God, they're police. Um, Which is, he's realizing, oh, you know, somebody knows that I'm undercover. Somebody is involved in this. Like what's going on? Mm -hmm. So he goes back to patch himself up because he's all cut and stuff. Well, that's also like a big realization is that so much has gone on in this movie that you kind of forget that was his original mission was to like weed out undercover cops. But like he's gotten so deep and into, you know, being a fucking mob guy that like he hasn't really had a chance to really work on what his yeah, actual and they, ask is. And they say that in when he's at, back at the house and he's calling um, his, uh, uh, his Bunawar, his lieutenant. And he's like, yo, I have these guys on murder on, on this, on that, like on, on all these different things. And he's like, you weren't there for them. You were there for the police. Yeah. And he has this realization like, Oh shit. And then he hang then he hangs up and then another important thing happens which I don't know if a lot of people caught but earlier in the film he had to switch his uh SIM card to call his his handler and mm-hmm. then he is obviously using the SIM card that he has to call his handler and Ika calls him on it. So that mm-hmm. there immediately I remember the first time I saw it I was like oh my god he's undercover too. Because I was like, how would he have his number? How would he have the line, the SIM card that right. goes to the handler? But he calls it, mm. and then Rama Pitt looks at the phone, and it says, Ika's calling, and he has this confused look on his face. He's like, what mm. the hell? And then he picks up the phone. He's like, you got to come here, like, Uko, like, you got to get him out of here. And so then this all the three storylines kind of converge into, or the two stories converge into this bangoons just beating <laughs> beating the hell out of out of uko and uh and while rama is making his way there beho arrives with the assassin and a mob of henchmen and uko finally reveals his betrayal by yeah. shooting his father point blank in the face uh and uh and wounding ika but before beho can finish ika off rama arrives and uh starts a fight with all of the henchmen giving Ika a chance mm-hmm. to escape, even though he's been shot in the leg. Which that scene, that's number two or three of people just getting shot point blank in the fucking head. 
because you have Andy, then you have Bang Un, and then you have one later on as well. There's a lot of heads that just straight up explode in this movie. Like when Bang Un gets shot, and then it does like he's in like Jesus Christ pose, just falling, yeah, like falling in slow. And you can see like the wound in the head. Like this, yeah, it's intense. It, it's fantastically done. Like I can only just give praise to how well the violence in this movie is done. Mm. So uh, Uko has, after this, the assassin subdues Uko, or subdues Rama, sorry, knocks him out, and um, Uko has him taken away. So they bring him down to the parking garage. They're all getting into their cars. They're driving out of there. And uh, and as they're driving, Ika, he comes out of nowhere. He's gotten a car himself, and we have this amazing car chase fight scene where people in cars are fighting, cars and cars are fighting. There are people shooting. There are people using their hands. Rama's in the SUV, fighting the guys in the SUV with him, trying to disarm them and knock them out and throw them out the window. I mean, at one point, he kicks a guy into a door. Then he swings on the little handle in the car and kicks the guy and the door off. And then the guy goes flying into and gets hit by another car. Um wow. And a lot of this is kind of one take uh, or long takes, which are moving between the cars. This is what we talked about, where they were yeah. handing the camera, the handy cam off to someone who was on a bike or on a on a flatbed and then would be brought back to the next car and handed into somebody in the yeah. car who was wearing the. And it's crazy. It's nuts. Uh, yeah, there's insane thing, And this is where in, and there's like cars crashing left and right. And this is where, like, I realized, like, how, uh, you know, how lawless uh, the film set was. Because in the um, special features, there's showing a making of. And on this scene specifically, there's, like, I think it's, like, a SUV or something that gets, like, flipped over. And it's, like, right on the edge of the road. And in the scene, they obviously have, like, they edited, you know, they CGI'd out, like, some cameraman and stuff. But then from the documentary footage, you realize like there's cameramen that are literally like three feet away from this SUV going fucking yeah. belly up like alongside the road. And there's also just casual spectators there. I'm like, how is this even allowed? Like the odds of somebody just getting murked <laughs> by a car in this are, are so high. And yeah, as far are, as I know, much higher no than... one got murked by a car. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, it's, definitely it, would never happen in on a Hollywood set no. for sure. But then again, you know, Hollywood probably wouldn't ever make a movie of the, like this. Like that, that's a lie because you know, Gone in sixty seconds exists and stuff, and you know, um, the Bourne the Bourne series. Like you know, I feel like this it'll be, it'll this car chase control. is very heavily heavily uh, influenced by the Bourne car stuff. Um, you know, just the way it's like so the immediacy, it's in the car, you're in there with them. But then, you know, the added thing of, like we said, of switching the cameraman literally passing off camera so that, the, you know, the flow of the scene continues. It's it's insane, dude. Like the choreography of that scene and how it just seamlessly yeah, I don't, I don't know is edited how, together. It's fucking it's crazy, nuts. dude. It's crazy. 
and the cam, handy cam work. I mean, it's a lot mm. of the cinematography stuff is is very much based on the first film. But then you have these added things that happen, like uh, the overhead shot of Procoso or the the camera moving between uh, the cars in this long, like very kinetic, very movement heavy, very heavily choreographed fight scene. But it somehow it feels like it's not. It feels yeah. like it's natural. It feels like you're, you know, it it it, it, it all makes sense, and it all it's edited mm-hmm. super well. You don't get overwhelmed. It, it's constantly moving, and it's brutal too. Like they're fighting in mm. the SUV. Ika reloads his Tech Nine with his mouth, and then yeah. then we have the third headshot in which he places a machine pistol yes. up against the guy's helmet, and then and fires just the entire clip. <laughs> Into this guy's face, dude. Like, such unnecessary overkill. Like, while, like, there's also dudes in a car on the side that are trying to get him with a shotgun. And, like, yeah, just, like, the back and forth between it. Yeah, but, yes. that Excellent. Excellent excellent stuff. And then, is this where it ends with, like, the overhead shot of where their car is going in reverse? but they're being pushed towards like a median, but the, at the last yeah, second they turns. reverse. And then you see the, the mob guy just drive straight into the median. And then you see the body go flying yeah. out of the windshield, which you don't see that dude. Yeah, like, that's what I was I can, saying. You don't see that kind of stuff in other movies where it's like, if you did that, like if you actually drove a car into a median and you weren't wearing at that speed, yeah. people, someone would go out the window and somebody yeah. did. And you never see yeah. that in other movies, which is just, I mean, not that I like, I'm, I'm, I'm frothing at the mouth to see people dying in car accidents, but you know, yeah. like there, there's a little bit more gritty reality, even though it's like the, all of these, especially yeah. Rama, he's like a superhero, you know, he keeps getting bloodied and beaten and hurt and he just keeps going. Um, but the kind of overkill way that they show the brutality of these fights um whether it be you know a hammer being thrust into you or a baseball bat sticking to someone's head after it's been caved in uh oh yeah yeah we'll get to that in a second anyway so there's this they're fighting they're fighting um Ika saves Rama who jumps out the, or goes out the back of the SUV and gets into uh, Ika's car. They nearly get run off the road, but uh, in a very savvy, skilled moment, Ika uh, does, as we said, uh, is backing up and then he swings, swings around so that the SUV that's attacking him drives into the median and then is hit by a truck. Um, they drive away. Uh, and uh, and they go to a more secluded part of the city, uh, and uh, Ika reveals that he knows Rama was, is working undercover, that he's also an undercover officer, that when they met each other, and Ika said, I come from the same place as you, he was telling him that, and implies that's how he knew the phone number, and uh, does not want to be helped medically, he's tired, uh, he knows, he says to him, the only way you're going to get out of this is if you kill all of them, Otherwise, you're never going to see your kid again. You're never going to get out of it. You're never going to be allowed yeah. to get out of it. And he would like to die. And so he mm-hmm. gets out of the car, sits down and passes away. And Rama goes ter- goes Super Saiyan, goes turbo mode. He sits in the car, breathes deep a couple times, asks God to watch over him. And then um, uh, 
then we get to the final final situation where Rama pulls up mm-hmm. to the restaurant that Beho owns, uh, drives into the garage uh, through the garage door, uh, and uh, takes out like thirty dudes, um, just one after another after another, flipping them, breaking bones, um, throwing them into walls, tearing down. Uh, what do you call them? Shelving units on top of people, mm. uh, flipping yeah. them on top of cars, flipping, <laughs> you know, he's just going nuts. Um, and during That's this, during this happening, uh, uh, we see, um, Beho, uh, uh, Uko and, uh, and Reza upstairs. Um, we see, uh, Uko cleaning the blood off of his hand and face. He's obviously shaken up. And, uh, when he goes to tip, the uh he's yelling at the 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 whatever you would call him the bathroom servant guy mm-hmm. um who gives him paper towels he knocks it out of his hand starts screaming at him realizes wow i'm real uh, he obviously catches himself there for a sec mm-hmm. so he goes to tip the guy and then he finds the uh wire that rama placed in his wallet and uh, and then he goes out and um, he's treated incredibly poorly by Beho and Reza, who just talk to him like he's a like a, a you know bottom rung guy. They just are yeah. incredibly disrespectful to him, specifically Reza. Uh, and during that situation, Beho is told that the uh, um, uh, that that the that Rama is there and he's, he's coming up, coming up to get him. So they send the assassins out to defend and uh, they continue their conversation. We should also say that yeah. at this point, Rama is told before he goes to war, uh, before he goes to the building, he calls it, calls uh, Lieutenant Bunawar and uh, he's, and he's like pissed. And Bunawar tells him that the police commissioner has been killed, that it's an all out war out there. The bodies are piling up that you should go find somewhere safe. And Rama says, are my, are my wife and kids safe? And he says, yes. He gets cake and hungs, hangs up. He's ready to go. So he pulls up, he's beating the people in the garage who goes upstairs, getting, getting, uh, verbally assaulted by these other guys. Um, and during that situation, he realizes that, uh, Beho has the same tattoo as the men that he killed uh, or the men that tried to kill him in the prison. And he begins putting two and two together that he was used as a pawn that Beho and Reza want to take over and that they are, they are that he was used that his father didn't have to die, that they played him for a sucker. And uh, obviously this causes Uko to get very mad. Yeah. He played himself, son. (laughs) Well, he kind of did play himself. Really um, Rama, this is where we have the fight between him and Hammer Girl and Baseball Batman. Uh, as I said, he fights them both, uh, and uh, it, it is quite the fight. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, he manages to kill Baseball or Hammer Girl first. Baseball mm-hmm. Batman loses his temper because his sister has, has been killed and uh, attempts to um, 
in fact, in this in this fight, Rama kills them both with their own weapons. He manages to mm-hmm. get one of the hammers from Hammer Girl, uses that to stab her in the throat, uh, and yep. uh, and Baseball Batman gets angry. He loses his temper and starts swinging uncontrollably. Rama's able to get the bat away from him and uh, and then smash him in the face. Uh, and then when oh. he in one of the most disturbing parts of the film, uh, after his last swing, he lets go of the bat, and the bat is embedded in baseball Batman's now uh caved in face. Um <laughs> yeah, like he smashed he the man literally eats a baseball bat. It's crazy. And during this scene, I don't know why they did this, but it has the reveal that uh Hammer Girl is also blind. No, she um, one eye. One eye is missing. She has one eye. Okay. And but then she's like deaf as well. So it's like uh, that's like where like the cartoonish sort of like uh you know, anime villain stuff kind of comes from. It's like, that wasn't really necessary, but the ad, but like, it's kind of cool. And you can, the one thing that's really sweet about this scene is how well uh, they work in, like in tandem with each other, uh, baseball Batman and hammer girl. Cause like, there's a part where she almost smokes her brother in the head with a hammer, but she stops. Like she knows, like they're very, they're highly trained. And she's like only like, I guess like 20 years old or something. And she's just kicking ass. Like, I love it. It's kind of also a throwback to the uh, the one girl from uh, Kill Bill, kind of. Like, I kind of, like, got that vibe. Maybe that might have been a reference for the character, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But then, yeah, the once Rama gets a hold of those hammers, he does absolute violence. And then, yeah, puts the baseball bat in baseball Batman's head and just walks away as the baseball bat just stays just stays in his head like it's like he looks like fucking bam bam it's hilarious it's crazy yeah it's it's, uh (laughs) it's one of those things where i was like good lord like good Mm -hmm. lord (laughs) um and then that's the thing is that like in video game fashion you're like oh okay so that's got to be the final fight right like that's that's the final fight but then no no he walks through the door and then what it's like oh here's the final boss battle actually (laughs) Uh, yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, one of the most, uh, uh, kind of, uh, brutal, I mean, this, it's just hit after hit in this movie, but, um, him fighting the assassin is crazy. They have a full first round where they fight each other and they're smashing each other off of the, like, off of the like kitchen appliances and they're like throwing each other and throwing each other through walls. Yeah. Before this fight even starts, one of my favorite things ever is that they're in like a, like a high class, like restaurant kitchen and there's actual cooks and chefs in there. And then they just see Rama step in and then all the actual chefs just like put their stuff down and just kindly walk out. They're just (laughs) like, Ah, yes. We know exactly what's going to happen. We will leave. We will leave. You guys may uh, beat the shit out of each other yeah. now. And they go, so they go first round, no weapons, just beating on each other. Uh, and uh, and Rama manages to put up a much better fight this time. They're both getting, like, smashed off the ground, smashed off the appliances, bounced off of walls, flipped around. They're, like, Going nuts. It's nuts. I don't even, I can't, I can't, if we spent too long talking about these fight scenes, one, we would ruin some of the greatest parts of him. And also there, there are so many and there's so much happening that we can't really, but just trust me when I say the first round, 
fist to fist. They're going hard on each other. And then they take a a moment (laughs) where they both are sitting there looking at each other and they're both breathing. I think they're just taking a minute. And then the assassin pulls out his, his blades. And then there's a whole other round where they're fighting and Rama manages to get the blade off of him. And they're both going cut for cut. They're like cutting each other, throwing each other through glass walls. Rama kicks him into the wines through a glass door into a wine cellar and then starts smashing bottles on it and stuff. Like it's going crazy. Um, And finally they're going like, literally there's a part where the assassin has him and he's just like punching him in the face over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's nuts. But Rama being Rama, finally gets him uh and uh, and finally ends his life um uh uh he he uh, uh after after getting one of the carambits from the assassin they both are bladed up he finally gets him kills him and uh and rama enters the the restaurant upon entering the restaurant uh um the beho goes to grab a shot shotguns for him and Reza throws the shotgun towards Reza. But Uko realizing that he's been played catches the shotgun spins and shoots Reza in the face. Um, yep. Another <laughs> close contact uh, uh, headshot. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and then um, uh, uh, he kills Beho as well. Um, mm-hmm. before and, and Beho unleashes a couple rounds at Rama, gets him with a little bit of pellets from the shotgun, but he's still all right. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, before Uko can kill Rama as well, Rama has forced to kill Uko. They have a minute where they're embracing, uh, and, uh, and he's stabbed to death and, uh, and Rama limps away, exhausted, uh, goes down to the, the garage and he goes to leave and he encounters Goto's men led by Goto's son, Kaichi, who are sent to attack the meeting. While Lieutenant Bunwar is driving to get him, Kaichi smirks as he silently offers a deal to Rama and Rama says, no, enough. And the movie ends. Um, yeah, which the final scene, it's very kind of beautiful, which I think I, see, I had a, like it was... I had an oh shit moment right at the end of the movie because that final song that plays like when you know the sort of like dust settles that's a fucking uh, Nine Inch Nails song Ghost 2 it's from their instrumental album before Nine Inch Nails started doing movie scores they did a whole like four instrumental albums and that song in particular was like one of the songs that I used for like references for like cavernous and like snow blinded piano parts and shit. So then as soon as it started playing, I was like, holy shit. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the nine inch nail song right at the end. Uh, I love that. But yeah, in terms of heads exploding, head explosion number four, when I'm, uh, who is it? Is it? Uko standing over top of the one guy and just blows his head right off with the shotgun. Yeah. I, I, I stopped the movie at that point and I just wanted to go back just because I, I, I wanted to actually, I think that's actually number. Are you talking about at the end when he kills uh Beho? Yeah. Is, is when Beho's laying on the ground? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So is that head explosion? Number five, that's six, six. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that one's crazy. Because I tr- I wanted to figure out how they did like I 
I'm pretty confident I know how they do that, where they actually have the guy laying there because he puts his arm up as almost like the stop uh, Uko from shooting him. But then Uko just dusts, just blows his head right off. And I went through that like frame by frame. So, like, and I'm pretty sure they probably just have like an explosive like uh, prop head right next to the, where the guy's actual head is because it's from a really wide angle. But just the way you just see the head just fully explode on the floor pretty gnarly yeah um yeah this this movie is look if you can get past the violence in it yeah and realize that all of this all of this violence is fake this is filmmaking um it's not only is the choreography and film work incredible it's just a really good example of what we've talked about before on the podcast where it's like you kind of take the core of a movie and then you add stuff to it like the way that alien and aliens uh, and we talked about this in the in the aliens episode it mm-hmm. takes kind of the core of what was great about um about alien and the and and then adds a lot to it and changes the circumstance and introduces new like raises mm-hmm. the stakes, introduces new uh, uh, um, kind of evolutions of the situation or, or, or situations to be in for these characters or circumstances. Um, but at the core of it, it's still, you, you know that it's a sequel. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. it takes everything that was good about the first one and then just puts it in different situations and expands upon it. Um, yeah. And so the film is more of a like, it's the first one is more of, as Gareth Evans said, a survival horror martial arts crime film. Whereas this mm-hmm. one's like a, a crime, you know, a, a, a bona fide crime martial arts film um, yeah. that is just bonkers. You know, it's got yeah. some elements that make it feel video gamey and 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 make it feel like it's like, villains are anime villains, but then yeah. you have kind of focus on realism, like you get when so they get in a car accident, the guy flies out the flies out the window, or you know um, references to other gangster movies, and and just there's just so much in this that makes it a really great sequel, and some really mm. beautiful camera work, some really beautiful shots, yeah. choreography is nuts. Um, but the violence is much like everything else juiced up in this. Like it goes, Oh yeah. There's a lot of violence in this movie. Yeah. Um, but it bangs like it's, mm-hmm. it bangs. I guess we should say about the violence. This film was banned in Malaysia. Um, the, it was given an R rating in, uh, in the USA. Um, and, uh, had some cutting of a few frames of graphic violence. um, it got four minutes cut in Japan, um, uh, but they did screen an uh, uncut version. Um, it was, you know, uh, um, I'm sure in other places had some censorship as well uh, because mm-hmm. it is quite violent. Uh, but the critical response to this film, it has an approval rating of 82 on Rotten Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the consensus says uh, the average rating of 7.5 the consensus states, although it's high energy plot and over the top violence may play better with genre aficionados, the raid two definitely delivers more of everything audience loved about its predecessor. Metacritic gave it a weighted average of 71 out of a hundred, um, during its premiere at Sundance, which I believe was September 14th, 
uh, no, sorry, January 21st of 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, it received a, uh, uh, a um, quite the overwhelming reaction. Uh, the screening caused an explosion of excitement and enthusiasm for the film on social media. Uh, some people didn't like it as much. It got a three out of five review and a mixed re- uh, mixed review um, by Joey Mag- Magidson. Um, and, uh, uh, but a lot of other people say that it's, uh, uh, gave it, uh, uh, really good reviews. <laughs> like someone from entertainment weekly said the raid two will make you feel like Christmas came nine months early. Some action sequels don't know when to say when, but here's one where too much is just the right amount. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly, exactly the sentiment that we said earlier, <laughs> earlier in the yeah. episode. Um, Roger, yeah, is Oh, go ahead. Because, yeah, because, like, you know, you were talking about earlier how, like, we, like, for sequels, you kind of have, you have to keep, like, there has to be a through line, but you have to keep building on it, which is something, like, you know, the Bourne trilogy did so well. Like, the first one's an espionage thriller. Then, you know, the second one adds even more action sequence. And then by the third one, it's just a straight-on, like, action movie almost with fucking Matt Damon running across roofs and shit and, you know, doing stuff like that. Like, this one... I love, like, obviously, of course, the violence and action is going to go up so more, like, so much. Obviously, you have to top it. Like, how are you going to top the first raid? Well, you know, just add crazy villains, different set pieces. But the the addition of having a really actually well-written plot that, you know, catches you off guard at times, you know, confuses you at times intentionally, you know, you don't really know where it's going to go. like. Even in the raid, like even when there's like you know some reveals, you're kind of like, oh okay, cool, get back to fighting. Like you, the plot doesn't really matter that much. But this one, like it works hand in hand with it. Like I think the adding so much plot and story and having a very well built out world, I think is what needed to be done for this sequel. And usually with action sequels, it's usually just yeah, more more blood, more violence. And usually the stories get dumber and dumber and dumber as like, you know, something goes along looking at the Expendables, which I love the Expendables, not the talk shit, but you know, it, once it found out what people want from it, just kind of go kind of. Oh yeah. The third one's stupid as hell, but. Yeah, uh, no, but it's fucking sick. I love the Expendables, no doubt. And, and I'll talk about the Expendables a bit more in a minute, but in this one, you know, it's obviously like, yeah, people want more crazy fight scenes, but then they're like, but what if we do the crazy thing that most sequels don't do is we actually make a really good story. Yeah, and, and I mean, some some of the reviews, like the Simon Abrams of RogerEbert.com praised the film for its involving plot and said that uh, the cast, especially Uwais, was charming and the dialogue was winningly precise, precise and that it takes... Uh, everything that's already impressive about the raid and just builds it out, builds it out in the right way, which is what we were saying. I think one of the things about this is that, uh, and sorry to interrupt you is that it it is that not only does it add more action, which is what Mm -hmm. you were saying. A lot of these sequels for action films, it's like, all right, like how can we make it more action and more crazy? And they sacrifice like adding plot or cinematography or, Mm -hmm. you know, but in, in this film, not only is the action more insane, but also the lo- there's more locations. The plot mm-hmm. is better. There are 
uh, more characters um, and and distinctly different characters. You know, in the first one, there's not a whole lot of characters. There's like three, four. Yeah. Yeah. This one, there's more, and they all have a role within the plot. Even if they don't mm-hmm. have a lot of lines, it's like there's new people being introduced. Um, and and there's a story, and there's a reason why everything is happening. It's not just, oh, we're in this apartment, we have to kill this guy. Like There's a whole point to it. But then on top of that, the stuff that he's doing with the camera, like cinematography-wise, some of the shots in, like the like you said, the staging of and, and the shooting of the prison fight, the, the car chase, some of the fight scenes, like that last scene in the kitchen, making that kitchen feel like it's both giant and tiny at the same time is, yeah. is again, editing and choreography and all of the stuff that goes into it beforehand. So that's why I said this is such a good example of a sequel doing it right. Because it's not just, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to make the action bigger and just have a, a, a zero-point plot like the first one, no, this is like there's actually uh, motivations for characters and things that are going on, and it just gives it such a richness that might or that could have easily been left behind, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because I'm reading some reviews here, so like, uh, there's one from like a total film where it says exactly what we're just saying here is that you know. Evans, you know, he has a pinpoint pacing, which is something that refreshes all the more in the face of modern blockbusters, you know, their tendency to start big and just keep getting bigger and bigger. And then they just kind of wither away. But this movie gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're just like, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, oh, like you're not you're not getting out of because eventually like some movies they get, you know, they just get ridiculous. But this one. The precedent has been set with a whole other movie of like how ridiculous it can go. And you're just like, where can't like after after the car chase, you're probably just like, what the fuck else can they do? What the fuck else can they do? But then they do a genius thing where they kind of bring it back a bit and go back to what the bread and butter of the movie is, is hand to hand combat. And because then the next fight you get is just him versus siblings in a hallway so it goes from super huge action set piece cars people going flying and then the next major fight scene it's just in a hallway it's just well, like hey let's, first let's strip it back okay first it's him yeah, in, he the, busts in the henchman but yeah. it, but that's also in a room like that's not yeah. like in a it's just him fighting dudes who are running at him and then it's the mm-hmm. hallway but yes the same idea i agree and actually yeah, no i i wanted to read this uh, this review that you brought up because it was the last in my notes and I just yeah. think it some, sums it up perfectly and then you can finish your thought. But mm-hmm. Matt Risley wrote in, in Total Film, mm-hmm. he gave it five stars and he said, sumptuously shot, perfectly placed and flat out exhilarating. The Raid 2 cements Evans as the best action director working today and may not be the best action gangster or even martial arts movie uh, ever made, but as a combination of all three, it's unparalleled in recent memory and offers a tantalizing glimpse into a post Bayham action movie world, brutal, beautiful, and brilliant. The sheer imagination on the, on show, both in the cinematography and choreography guarantees each brawl is instantly iconic, immaculately mm-hmm. editing, uh, edited each traumatic, tensely tactile fight would blur into chaos. If not for Evans pinpoint pacing, yeah. something that refreshes all the more, in the face of modern blockbusting's tendency to start big and just keep getting bigger until burnout. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that the that one I just yeah. quoted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the one that you quoted. And I think, yeah. I think that that's such a like, 
spot on. Like if mm-hmm. you want to sum up how I feel about it, how people should feel about it, it's that review to me. Cause it's like, yeah, so many parts working in tandem that are so smart and sm- so well done that like, if you can get past the like hyper violent part of it, you realize mm-hmm. how brutally beautiful this, this movie is. Um, yeah. Because even, like, for example, like, the car chase, like, everything had, every fight scene has, like, tiers to it. It has, like, levels to it. So, like, you know, starts as a regular fight scene, car chase scene. Then, you know, he's in the car with people beating the, sh- fighting in the car. Then, you know, then there's a shootout in going back and forth between cars. And then, you know, you have the big climactic crash at the end. So, it's it's always building, building, building. Then it Then the scene itself has a climax. And then it brings it back down, brings it back down. And then, you know, goes into the warehouse scene. It's like, okay, let's let's start this again. It's just Rama beating the shit out of dudes that fucking suck because he just loves beating up henchmen. That's his business. So you go, you start back down, you're back down at level one. Then you go, then you go, oh shit, he's got the two-on-one fight that you're at level two there. Then there's the final fight against him and the assassin. It's like, holy shit, like, this movie is a masterclass of pacing, building action, and, like, in a movie that has such, so much action, it has, this movie has more action than most movies have. Like, this movie, like, you could cut out all of the actual plot and still have, like, just 90 minutes of action, of just fight sequences. It's crazy. And even through that, it could probably still tell the story of like pacing of, you know, building up. Okay. 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 Then the fight has a climax. And you said like the perfect thing earlier is that like it has rounds almost like there's rounds in the fight where, you know, they fight, fight, fight. Then there's sort of like a calm and then it picks it up. It levels up. Then it sort of calms down again. Then it just goes over fucking board to the, and then the fight usually ends there with just some insane violence. And, you know, you see that, like, with what he does to the assassin with his little knife hook things, you know, what he does to baseball man head, just by smashing his head in, uh, you know, there's just so much. And, like, some some fight scenes started to, like, meld together for me just because, but, like, now I kind of want to watch it again with that in mind seeing how they pace out and do the fight scenes and just have it building up without it just getting worn out. Like you're not, you don't get tired in the movie. Just like, okay, this guy beats the shit out of everyone. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Like you kind of like watching the expendables, you get that where it's just like, okay, something crazy is going to happen. Okay. They're all going to overcome. Cool. Uh, Jason Statham's going to throw a knife in that guy's head. Okay, cool. This happens every movie, yada, 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 and so on and so forth. But this one is, like I said, masterclass of pacing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a good one. It's it's one mm-hmm. of the good ones. Um, and you know, man, like I I just really like this movie. I like this series mm-hmm. of movies. I'm so glad we got to to speak about it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have a lot more cool ideas for the uh the rest of the the year and things that we want to hit mm-hmm. things that we want to to talk about um but i'm really glad we started the year off with this one because if you're a fan yeah. of action this the either of these two films if you like martial arts if you like in in interesting different choreography things that will make you go oh my god 
like, what the hell? These mm-hmm. movies will scratch that itch. If you like crime movies, uh, gangster movies, the second one is amazing. If you like straight, like white knuckle, I mean, both of them are white knuckle action. What am I saying? But yeah, yeah. I just, I'm really glad we got to talk about them because I feel like a lot of people have seen them, but also a lot of people haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I highly recommend checking these out if you if you haven't um, because they are just good movies. Just mm-hmm. good movies. Um, Absolutely. Do we have any other things that we want to chat about with them? I think we've covered pretty much everything. Um, Well, the reason I've been mentioning The Expendables throughout this, other than it being a ridiculous over-the-top action series, uh, Iko Uwais, the lead in both of the Raid movies, is the villain of the upcoming Expendables 4. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not know that. Which, it's been filmed. Yes. And, buddy... It's coming out this year, I think. But uh, yeah, so Iko is the main villain. And, you know, uh, so The Expendables 4 in the third movie, they tried to introduce sort of like a new class of people. Failed miserably with it because if I have to watch a shitty like MMA fighter that can't act, attempt to act. Like, was it was it Ronda Rousey in the third one? Yeah. Or was it? Yeah. She she sucks. She sucks at acting. Uh, she's great, great wrestler. She has great wrestling acting, but no, she's a bad actor, actor. But anyway, in Expendables 4, it's going to be Stallone's last Expendables. He's passing the series off to Jason Statham, who will then become the lead. And so they're adding some new cast members that include 50 Cent, oh, let's Megan go. Fox, Andy Garcia, and as I mentioned, Iku-wise as the lead villain. So um pretty stoked for that. That's got a release date, September 22nd of this year. So I'm pretty stoked. Uh and that's the thing. Look at this. The expendables uh budget for this new one coming out is a hundred million dollars. Remember what we said at the beginning: the raid two, 4.5 million dollars. Now, look what you can do if you just have some absolute masters on set. If you just know, like, Gareth Evans, his cinematography, his, you know, his his editing, you know, just his writing is fantastic. And then, you know, Iku Weiss and the, uh, I forget his name, the dude that played Mad Dog and uh, and this one. Yeah, yeah. Them two working as choreographers, fucking geniuses, geniuses. I, I'm going to go through and I'm going to watch through both of their like filmographies because they both mainly only do action stuff. And, uh, you know, Eco, he's done a lot of stuff in America now, but the dude that plays Mad Dog, I think he's still mostly based in Indonesia. And I want to check out some of his stuff because I'm sure it's probably wild. So... Yeah, check out check out their films. Like if you're into like sick martial art movies, you know, check out their uh, filmographies, and I'm sure you'll probably find something that you want to watch that will be equally as satisfying as these movies. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're in the martial arts, can't go wrong with these guys, honestly. Yeah, and I mean this this whole this whole film just goes absolutely crazy. Like I, I don't know how else to how else to uh to sell it to you guys. I mean it's a it's a banger. It's a you know 
it's it's a banger. It's yeah. uh it's an excellent excellent uh film uh, uh and it uh, it'll make your jaw hit the floor. The second one is bigger, badder, crazier, more bonkers than the first one, but the first one is still like excellent. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I mean I I I I, I just watch it. Uh, I guess we should say that this film made a couple of the year-end lists um, uh, from a few different uh, uh, places. IMD put IMDb put it in the top ten films of 2014 at number seven. Um, it made it on number ten on Hitfix's top 50 films of 2014. It made it to ten on Den of Geeks top ten films of 2014. Um, film school Reje- rejects put it at 14 of the 14 best lang- foreign language films um, Peter Freeman put it number two of top 10 movies of 2014 it also won some awards uh, from um, the Florida Film Critics Circle it won best foreign language film over Force Majeure and Ida which is wild um, it, won- it was uh, uh, um, nominated for Maya Awards uh, Arfin Putra won for Uko and Best Supporting Actor or Best Actor in a Supporting Role, won for Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Visual Effects, Best DVD, um, uh, Expo or Equator Film Expo Award for International Achievement. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it got accolades. It was very well liked. Uh, there was supposed to be a sequel. I don't think Gareth Evans is doing it anymore. Um, he moved back to the UK and he said it was kind of closing a ch- chapter on the franchise um, and uh, that he felt that the story was ended pretty neatly in part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, never say never, but it's unlikely to happen anytime soon. So maybe there will be a sequel yeah. to it. But for now, the raid one and the raid two uh, are just they are as they are. And uh, there are no plans announced as far as I know. Now, if I'm wrong, yeah. you can send us an email, hit us up on Instagram or whatever, and let me know. But as far as I know, uh, Gareth Evans, his uh, focus has been on uh, other things, as we talked about in the last episode. I can't wait to see Eco Waste in Expendables 4. Yep. I'm happy he's working. Uh, this movie is brutal white knuckle craziness, but it's, as I said, there's beauty in it, and it's just incredibly well done. Takes everything from the first film and just turns it up but it never burns it you know we never it never burns it out and uh i think that that's what makes this film special um also just people getting their ass beat in insane ways <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like like this has some yeah. of the most insane <laughs> insane people getting beaten up <laughs> situations ever like think about it on paper a, a girl with one eye who's deaf just goes crazy on yakuza guys in a subway yeah like huh what a homeless man it's... fights waves of enemies inside an empty nightclub like this sounds like a like you said it sounds like video game levels oh that's that's the other extreme violent thing that I, I bothered me is when in the nightclub it's like the last shot within the nightclub where he he smashes a bottle over the dude's head and then just starts stabbing him in the throat holy fuck dude oh I hated it. I love it. I love it, but I hated that. Oh, man. <sighs> yep. There's so much violence. This movie is an overload. If you want to overdose on violence, 
but entertainment, like entertain good entertainment violence. It's not like it's not like hostile. You're not like ugh. It's not like torture porn, but it's just like ah fuck. Uh, yeah, yes, this is what happens when you know when people are beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Well, I guess that's all we can say. We don't want to beat a yeah. dead horse. Uh, this was really good. We don't know what we're doing next. We are taking um. Uh, uh, maybe taking next week. There, there will be a week. Yeah. Next week's up in the air. I'm getting teeth removed. I'm getting some wisdom teeth removed. So I might not be able to talk. I might have a headache. My face might just be generally mangled. But, uh, you know, that's in the that's on Wednesday. So maybe by the weekend, maybe I'll, I'll be feeling okay enough to just sit down and talk. Maybe we'll do like a lazy bird or something. But uh, if there's no episode for next week, uh, we, we will oh, well. <laughs> we will find uh and then of course the following weekend i have things going on but you know what uh we will pre-record if need be i know maybe mm-hmm. next week we'll miss an episode but the following week there will be something that goes up uh and um another just one recommendation for all you film lovers out there who love cinematography uh and uh and are into the practical side of things i highly recommend you check out athena uh, the French film on Netflix. Um, it is another kind of crime political uh, uh, un- unrest slash Greek tragedy inspired film. Um, and it has some of the craziest cinematography, uh, uh, sh- you know, kind of shot framing. Um, uh, it has an 11 minute single take when the film opens uh, that starts with a police station being firebombed and then raided. Uh, it is nuts. So if you want to watch something that's going to make you go, my God, I can't believe how beautiful this is, but also is uh, very kind of prescient on on what's been happening in the world lately as far as uh, racial extremism and stuff like that, uh, while also having some really, really cool action pieces and cool, cool moments, uh, check it out. It's a French film. It's... Um, it was really good. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we'll be back maybe next week, maybe the week after with another episode. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, send Otis your good energies for healing of his mouth after his teeth get removed. And um, I guess that's pretty much it. Anything else mm-hmm. you want to add? Oh, find me on Instagram at P-A-L-M-R-E-A-D-R. Where can they find you? Uh, Instagram as well. Uh, Otis Morris Dude. And uh, yeah, all of some some new things coming out in the next month uh or two got a whole bunch of stuff that i'm working on and uh yeah that'll be coming out in the future so uh keep your eyes peeled keep your ears open yeah and i'll have some announcements about my uh what's the ep is not an ep anymore it's going to be an album yeah yeah i know i know uh but i got too many songs and too many songs that i like so uh but i'm gonna have some announcements about that in the next couple weeks uh, as, as, as well as the re-release of, of the singles, you, you can't find them anywhere anymore. I've taken them down to get into the final finishing up of the album mode. Uh, but there will be a re-release of a single or a new single that's coming in a couple weeks, along with the cover of the album, the name of the album, and some more cool information, uh, about that. Uh, I guess that's it. Uh, go watch the raid. Go watch the raid too. If you haven't seen them, you love action films or martial arts, martial arts films. They are dope. And we will see you when we see you. Always remember, initiate the protocol. Peace.